You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the May 2020 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to this podcast during the coronavirus pandemic. Please stay healthy. Without further ado, I will start. A paper on home monitoring via health is really quite prescient during this pandemic. In this article entitled, Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis Acquire Sustainable Skills for Home Monitoring, a Prospective Dual Country Cohort Study, Bracket, Elector Clinical Trial 1, Skugarg and colleagues look at an e-health platform for home-based monitoring of patients with RA. Specifically, they investigated the intra- and inter-rater reliability and agreement of joint assessments and the DAS-28 CRP with a second aim to assess the effect of training on joint examination. The intra-rater reliability agreement of patient-performed joint counts were assessed through completion of five joint assessments over a two-month period. All patients received training on joint assessment at baseline, while half received repeated training. The intra-rater reliability was excellent with an ICC of 0.87 with a minimal detectable change of 1.13. The ICCs for the inter-rate of reliability range from 0.69 to 0.92, which are good to excellent respectively. Please read the paper to find out how closely the DAS-20 HCRP was between the patient and the healthcare professionals, and if repeated training altered the patient DAS CRP rating. The issue of the reported higher cesarean section rate in women with ankylosing spondylitis as compared to healthy controls is examined in the next article entitled Reasons for the High Cesarean Delivery Rate Among Women with Ankylosing Spondylitis Using Korean National Health Insurance Database and is by J.S. Lee and colleagues. The authors used the Korean Health Insurance and Review Assessment Service claims to find 1,293 deliveries of female patients aged 20 to 49 years old with ankylosing spondylitis. Of these 1,293 deliveries, 50.8% were by cesarean section and 49.2% by vaginal delivery. This rate compares to 44.1% for women with rheumatoid arthritis and 38% in the general Korean population. Within the AS pregnancies, Investigators found that maternal age, disease duration, and the presence of preeclampsia were all associated with a higher chance of a delivery by cesarean section. Please read the article to see if in a subgroup analysis was the rate of cesarean section delivery 
different between those women who are primiferous or multiparous. In the discussion, they also, the authors describe the factors that might lead to this increased cesarean section rate. They also compare the results of this article to the findings of other articles from other parts of the world. An important cause of morbidity and mortality in patients with systemic sclerosis is the development of pulmonary hypertension. The next article entitled Exercise Echocardiography predicts future development of pulmonary hypertension in a high-risk cohort of patients with systemic sclerosis by Quinn and colleagues examines this issue. This paper is accompanied by an editorial entitled Exercise Echocardiography as a Screening Tool in Systemic Sclerosis and is by Mukherjee and Mathai. The aim of the article by Quinn et al. was to evaluate if positive exercise echocardiogram could predict the future development of pulmonary arterial hypertension in a high-risk cohort of patients with systemic sclerosis. Patients with systemic sclerosis and features that have been previously shown to be associated with increased risk of pulmonary arterial hypertension were recruited into a prospective single-center observational cohort study. All patients underwent clinical examination, routine echocardiogram, and exercise echocardiography. All patients with a positive exercise echocardiogram then underwent right heart catheterization to confirm the diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension. A total of 85 patients were recruited into the study, and they had exercise echocardiogram baseline and then follow-up. The follow-up study was at, one, at least one year after the initial study with a mean duration between the studies of almost five years. 51% of the patients had at least one exercise electrocardiogram suggested of pulmonary hypertension. During follow-up, 13 of the 85 patients developed resting pulmonary hypertension on right heart catheterization of these 13 patients. 10 were from the exercise electrocardiogram positive group, or 23% of this group, as compared to 3 or 7% of the exercise electrocardiogram negative group. In accompanying editorial, Mukherjee and Mathai comment on the strengths and limitations and application of this study to clinical practice. Please read both the original article and the editorial to get a better understanding of factors leading to the development of pulmonary hypertension in patients with systemic sclerosis and decide if you think exercise echocardiogram should be part of the routine care of your patients with systemic sclerosis. The fourth article to discuss is an article about another very topical issue, vaccination. In this paper entitled Suboptimal Immunization Coverage Among Canadian Rheumatology Patients in Routine Clinical Care, Quandro and colleagues examine the issue of vaccination coverage and predictors of vaccination in the Canadian population. 
This was a cross-sectional study of 352 consecutive adult patients presenting to a single tertiary rheumatology clinic over a five-month period. Rates varied between patients for different rheumatic illnesses and for the different recommended immunizations of influenza, pneumococcal, hepatitis B, and herpes zoster. Overall, the lowest rates were for herpes zoster vaccination. Notably, there were significant differences in the percentage of patients with a given rheumatic disease, RA versus SBA versus a systemic autoimmune rheumatic disease when you compare the data for the individual vaccines. Specifically, hepatitis B vaccination was recorded in 73.5% of patients with spondyloarthropathy as compared to only 33.6% of the patients with rheumatoid arthritis. In contrast, 48% of the RA patients received this vaccination as compared to 32% of patients with spondyloarthropathy. Please read this article to find out the rate of immunization of patients with rheumatic diseases and how it compares to the general populations in the province and to find out if any disease or treatment specific factors and or if the presence or absence of a family doctor for the patient were associated with immunization rates. The final article I want to highlight is entitled Fibromyalgia Assessment Screening Tool, Clues to Fibromyalgia on a Multidimensional Health Assessment Questionnaire for Routine Care, and is by Gibson and colleagues. This article is accompanied by an editorial entitled, Do Rheumatologists Need More Clues to Diagnose Fibromyalgia, and is by Donald Goldenberg. The aim of the original article is to determine if the multidimensional health assessment questionnaire or the MD hack could be used to provide clues to the presence of fibromyalgia as a comorbidity in patients with rheumatic diseases. Study consisted of 148 patients with different rheumatic diseases who received the MD hack the 2011 Fibromyalgia Criteria Questionnaire, and were clinically assessed for the presence of fibromyalgia as a comorbidity. The authors found that there was an 83.8% agreement between the clinical diagnosis and the 2011 questionnaire diagnosis of fibromyalgia. The authors then compared the MD-HACC symptom checklist for the for features that best diagnosed fibromyalgia by the 2011 questionnaire criteria. Overall, 20 to 30 percent of patients were diagnosed with fibromyalgia by at least one of the assessment tools used. In the accompanying editorial, Dr. Goldenberg gives his views on the strengths and weaknesses of the article and importantly asks the question of what should be the role a rheumatologist in diagnosing and managing patients with fibromyalgia. Please read the original article in this thought-provoking editorial about the best and most rapid way to diagnose 
fibromyalgia. And what is the role of rheumatoid in either primary fibromyalgia or managing the comorbidity of fibromyalgia in patients with rheumatic diseases? I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only the articles I've highlighted during this podcast, but all the articles in the May 2020 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or our online edition, which is available at www.jroom.com. We will continue to expedite the review of all articles regarding SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and COVID-19 infection. We will make them quickly available online prior to publication in our print edition. If you have any comments or questions on these highlighted articles, or in fact, any article in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. Please listen next month to the June 2020 edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy in these very trying times.